Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by GTS RS Racing Simulation in Uxbridge, London, specialising in coaching racing drivers and thrilling the public using a professional motorsport racing simulator beyond any you've used before. This episode is called The Spin, The Fin, and too much fuel in. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Oh, it's going great. Wasn't that an exciting race? It really was. And that episode title was provided on Twitter by at Noble underscore F1, the spin, the fin, and too much fuel in. We also had some runners up, though. We had Christopher Fonseca with meow, meow. <laughs> What's your racing car noise, Matt? Um, pretty much that. Oh, okay. You didn't you don't go for like the V10. No. No, I'd probably be more of a V8 like American stock car. Kinda thing. Okay, cool. After the show we'll do gun noises. Mine's definitely piao piao. Okay, tonight we're gonna be talking about the US Grand Prix, how the race was won and lost, the tactics around Ferrari's victory, did Mercedes blow it? And is this the signalling of Kimi rising like a phoenix from the flames? We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work, sometimes. I'm also joined by Chris Stevens, autosport journalist and Formula E specialist. How's it going, Chris? It's going great. Uh, I've managed to uh, catch up on all the F1 stuff after coming back from Valencia. It was all a bit of a hurry at the weekend. Bit of a humble brag there. Oh, yeah, I managed to squeeze it in around my blossoming media career. Yeah, that's how it goes. Just own it. And we're also having uh, the chat room looked after by our glorious Uncle Steve. Gather round a tree and listen to stories from old man Stevie. How's it going, Steve? 
I don't know whether I agree that I'm that old. My body's a bit old. My brain's not very old, but I'm doing well. G'day, everybody. How are you going? It's an objective number, not a subjective number, unfortunately for you, Steve. But don't worry. We love you anyway. Let's go on to our race review. It's time for the Austin Grand Prix. We're in your homeland, Matt Trumpets. Why aren't you there? It's the same country. You could easily have gone down to the Austin Grand Prix. Yeah, it's only like a 14 or 15 hour drive. You're always complaining. What you've done there is you've made your problem our problem. Fine. Let's talk about the pre-race stuff. There's only two real things for me that happened pre-race. The most significant of which was the Vettel penalty in practice, which then affected the grid positions. In my mind, that penalty is cut and shut. I, I, I was watching it on Sky and I saw the guys getting a bit upset about it because it's going to affect the championship. But for me, it's like the kids know I have this rule. If we're anywhere near a road and I yell, stop firmly, they don't question it. They just stop. The rule is there for critical situations. For my money, nothing to complain about. Right. Well, if we're going to go that way, I actually had the same rule for my child. However, I would not wait until she was halfway into the crosswalk before yelling stop. And I think this is the essence of the complaint. They are given a specific delta time for the many sectors they are in. And Vettel was near the end of his. And although he slowed down rather tremendously, he would have had to have slowed down quite a bit more to make the delta time work out by the end of the mini sector. And he substituted his own judgment and said, it's probably more dangerous in terms of closing speed for me to get all the way there. I will get close enough and assume that this will be looked at with a reasonable eye by the stewards. Instead, the rule is the rule and they applied it technically and they were correct. That is the rule. And I will point out that the whole reason we have all these times to begin with is because the drivers used to complain bitterly in the in the uh, drivers meetings. Well, how slow do you mean when it's double wave, double yellow flag? So finally, they're like, OK, fine. You want to know what I mean? This is exactly what I mean. So now the drivers are complaining about that, which is to say, give a driver uh, some air and they will complain. But Chris, rules is rules. Yeah, totally fair enough. It was a completely fair penalty. And. I, I I disagree with the idea that it affects the championship. Maybe if this had happened five races ago, or if Vettel didn't keep slamming into things, yeah, it would have it would have affected the championship. But he just it keeps getting everything wrong, doesn't he? He can't even get this right. All right, so we ended up with obviously Sebastian Vettel getting a three place grid penalty, which put him in fifth place. But Kimi Raikkonen ended up starting on the ultra-soft tyres, and the Mercedes were on slightly slightly harder tyres. Chris, why? Why? Because it seemed to be so important. Well, it's the preferred strategy, usually, to to start on the, the middle compound available, uh, because the m- most tracks, uh, it's, it's the best way to go, because the tyre wear on the, what we call the qualifying tyre, is a bit too extreme. And especially given that we didn't have any running on Friday as well, uh, it was uh, going to be quite uh, significant because the tire wear that they saw in the very limited running in FP3, the only dry session they had before qualifying, the tire wear was actually more extreme than they were expecting. And I'm just going to point out, this is an example of Ferrari learning from its mistakes because they've had the opportunity in the past to split Vettel and Raikkonen on tire strategy when Mercedes opted for that middle compound and they've chosen not to. But this time they did, and I believe it paid dividends for them. So for, for, all the, for all the banging on Ferrari strategy, 
this was a clever move by them, I think. Okay, Matt, in 30 seconds or less, Pirelli upped the tyre pressures. Why should I care about that and what effect did it have? Okay, this is complicated and we didn't discuss this before the show. 25 seconds. It matters a lot because it plays into how hot the tire gets and how well it sheds its heat. The more pressure in the tire, which was done to protect the tire from explosively decompressing, a la Silverstone and that very exciting race, which I think randomly exploding tires could be a thing for the future, but I'll put that off the later. It was 2013 Um, for reference. Yeah. Essentially, we had uh, the track 10 degrees hotter on Sunday than Saturday. We had wet cold running on friday and pirelli also lacking data said we're going to knock an extra one and a half psi into the tires because of the data that we saw on saturday made us just a little bit nervous about that and on top of it and this is something we have yet been unable to confirm but it's a story that's out there but only it's only got a single source right now mercedes might have actually had to fiddle with their fancy new tire cooling solution a bit in order to stay legal. And we can talk about that in the uh, where the race was won and lost, if you like. Let's do that right now. I've got a good idea. Let's talk about where the race was won and lost. I think that's a brilliant idea. Who thought that up? That's so clever. All right. So here's the deal. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, we see Maurizio Arriva Bene showing up in the press saying that the FIA told him that the Mercedes hub, which does have small holes in it, which was ruled absolutely illegal when Red Bull did it, uh, for the, for aero purposes, he had been told by the FIA that they thought it was mildly illegal that Mercedes had done it, but that there was no real advantage to it, that they were doing it for cooling purposes. And suddenly Sunday after the race, I believe it was Franco Nunez shows up with a story saying that Mercedes were forced by the FIA to fill those holes with silicone before they ran. And as such, their clever cooling solution was not nearly so clever anymore because there was indeed, as it turns out, when you put holes in a hub, there was indeed a mild aerodynamic benefit. And that would be illegal, according to the FIA's previous ruling. Chris. Does anyone else find it sort of slightly amusing that both Mercedes and Ferrari have actually taken a step back in development? We know Ferrari had quite a significant aerodynamic update for this race, but they ended up not running. Uh, and they actually took some of the new parts off the car as well. And yet, and suddenly we're back to having a, a super tight fight at the head of the field rather than the half second gap that we've seen over the last few races between Mercedes and Ferrari. Yeah, well, that was the other thing, was that Ferrari reverted because they weren't getting the results they expected. And as soon as they reverted, suddenly we're 60,000 apart. And I don't think, to be clear, that Mercedes filling those holes affected them in qualifying. But in the race, which we are currently discussing, I believe it did, if it happened. The chat room sort of had some opinions about this as well. Um, and uh, Mark Greenow uh, would like to ask this question and he said i thought the wheels had to be homologated at the start of the year is it true that they had to be and if so why are they changing them now i don't believe the wheels have to be homologated but the wheels that mercedes currently are using showed up in singapore and they were acceptable to use the holes are in the hub 
though, not in the wheel. And I think that's been catching some people. I had to, I had to check that out myself, but the holes we're talking about are in the hub, not in the wheel. And uh, Mercedes was using it. Yeah. They had like the little Ripley thing to increase the surface area to help the, uh, to help the tires shed heat, which is where they have been suffering all season long. Would anyone like some breaking news? Well, go on. <clears throat> Apparently, and I've just gotten this from friend of the show, uh, Summers, like literally just gotten it. Um, Ferrari flat out threatened to protest the Mercedes hub wheel design. Charlie let Mercedes know that. And as a result, they made quote unquote changes, which most likely involved them uh, blanking the holes. They couldn't change the hub entirely because that would have broken park for me at that point. But you can cover off holes and things like that. And so that appears to be what they've done. And that's why it didn't affect them in qualifying. That appears to be what they've done. I, they would have probably done it for qualifying as well. But qualifying is only one lap. But you said Park Fermi. Doesn't Park Fermi only come in after Q1? Once you, when, once you hit Q1, you're in Park Fermi. So you, you can't make changes. So even if they'd run with it in qualifying, uh, they could have changed it for the race. Uh, they could have blanked off the holes for the race. That would have been okay because you're allowed to cover or uncover things for weather, for temperature purposes, and the temperature was different. But yeah, so it seems like that is an actual story. So look for that in your favorite media places over the next 24 hours. But there you go. Ferrari has not given up. All right, let's move on to a little bit of the tactical racy racy stuff. Obviously, they get off the line and Kimi Raikkonen on those newer softer stickier tires manages to draw up the hill down the inside uh, he's definitely caught hamilton by surprise didn't he because hamilton went all the way over but raikkonen already had a nose in front and and that was it you couldn't see hamilton coming back from that it was the first crucial part of the race wasn't it really raikkonen getting that better start we know how good the ferrari's been off the line and um, this year but then when you throw into the fact that he was on softer tires as well it was really all the ingredients for him to make up a place on the first lap for the first time since Abu Dhabi 2016. Uh, so, And what a time to do it. That was the first crucial point because he was able to build up a nice two-second advantage. So, Matt, there's two stories really here, isn't there? There's the story of this race as an isolated incident, the one that's made Kimi Raikkonen fans so happy, and then there's the race in the context of the title fight. So why don't we talk about the race first as as a an entity in itself the race was really between Kimi Raikkonen and Lewis Hamilton even though Verstappen ended up getting in the way actually the race was going to be between Raikkonen and Ricciardo until his car sadly shut itself off for the second time this season and brought out the virtual safety car which became in and of itself a turning point of the race when on lap 11 Lewis Hamilton was told to do the opposite to Raikkonen, and he bailed for a new set of soft tires. Okay, so Hamilton's told to do the opposite to Raikkonen, but it's lap 11. Like, surely lap 11 is too early. Now, I know they have loads of, like, fancy calculations and pit windows, so they will have worked out beforehand. If we're in a certain scenario, Chris, and the pit window opens, so presumably they've gone, right, a virtual safety car at lap 20 means that that is a good time to pit and get a cheaper pit stop. A safety car at lap 15 means you get like a free pit stop, so we definitely go for it at lap 15 because it's worth it. How was lap 11 on their pit window chart? Well, this is 
why we keep coming back to the whole Friday practice thing, because they didn't have anywhere near as much information as they normally would do. Normally, they've got every single scenario planned out, and that's why we see time and time again faultless strategy, and that's why everyone converges on the same strategy, and we barely get any racing. Uh, so, you know, again, going back to the argument for uh, binning Friday practice, but that lack of information meant that they just kind of had to think on their feet a little bit, and whatever information that they had wouldn't have been as accurate. And let's just throw in the wrinkle that if you're Mercedes and indeed you've had to blank these holes off in your hub and you don't know how the heating is going to work. Essentially, this was a free pit stop because at the time he came out behind Botas and Botas let him right by as soon as the safety car came off. Otherwise, you would have seen perhaps Hamilton in the same position Botas was, which was utterly defenseless against a Ferrari near the end of the race. He gained 12 seconds doing it under the virtual safety car. He, he was only eight seconds behind Raikkonen after the stop, and he should have been 19, 20 seconds. So it was absolutely, at the time, the right call, but it was all going to depend on how those tyres lasted. I think so as well. I think it's the, it was the right call. Right, chat room, tell me now, and I'll ask my panel as well. At the time, when the virtual safety car came out, were you screaming at Mercedes to pit Hamilton, or were you a Ferrari fan screaming at Kimi Raikkonen to pit, at, or were you someone saying that they should stay out? Because I was th- saying this is normally the moment where Mercedes do nothing. They have a do nothing first strategy. And when they were saying, right, do the opposite, I went, this is proactive. Great. Get him in. So if you're Mercedes as well, and you've been flacked a little bit for your strategic errors during the season, I can see why they might want to make the call. But uh, uh, according to uh, some uh, data I was looking at that soft tire was expected to be able to go the distance really um may, it might it would have been a bit of a struggle but I think if you throw on top Mercedes rear tire cooling issue uh it kind of compounds the issue a little bit so maybe uh, a car kinder on its tires would have just just eked out uh the distance but I think even at that point lap 11 that's extreme yeah, it was. They were they were maybe a lap or two out of the longest predicted window uh, for the soft tires. But what we don't know and what's not been confirmed is is the status of their cooling on the rear tires. But if you're Mercedes and you know for a fact, and this is the, the point I'm going to make, if you know for a fact that, that you don't have that solution available to you, then this essentially lets you run a two-stop for the cost of a one-stop. And there's no way you're not going to do it. Similarly, if you're Ferrari, And you've got Kimi on those tires. You'd think they'd want to get him off. But if you know for a fact you only feel you can run the softs X number of laps, then you'd be foolish to 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 take him out of the lead at that point and and make him make him give up on those tires before they were really done. As much as the team's data is inaccurate because of the lack of running, Pirelli's data is inaccurate as well. So they say the soft tire can do X number of laps. Maybe it can't. So the chat room are kind of saying that they were screaming as well to for their re- respective driver to go in for a pit stop. And I think Ferrari wanted Hamilton to stay out and follow him. I think they liked being on track with track position with Hamilton behind. So much so that Kimi Raikkonen did that dummy, which was really cool, by the way, to see guys doing that. Although it would have been slightly more effective if the Ferrari pit crew weren't all sat like fully chilling out. But Kimi Raikkonen did the dummy into the pit lane, which Hamilton did stay out for. So as Raikkonen was dummying, Hamilton stayed as if he was going to stay on track and then had to last minute 
lunge into the pit lane. So that makes me think that Ferrari wanted him to stay out, unless that's what they wanted us to think. And in fact, they wanted him to pit, but think that they wanted him to stay out, thus lulling them into a false sense of security that they'd done the right thing when Ferrari knew all along that that's what they wanted to happen. All right, so we have Hamilton out, and this, if you want to talk about where the race was really won and lost, when Hamilton caught back up to the tail end of Raikkonen and spent two-plus laps being slowed down, because let's admit it, at the time, he lost he lost chunks of time behind Raikkonen until Raikkonen pitted lap 21. I think... That was the beginning of the end for Mercedes because he lost so much time behind Raikkonen. He was never going to make it up now on those tires. Second crucial point of the race, the first one being Raikkonen's start and this one as well, keeping Lewis behind him. It was immense defensive driving. It was so textbook and you could see how much he was struggling. Even through 17 and 18, the rear of the car slaking around when he should have loads of downforce through that corner. Uh, It was slightly scary to watch at times. And as you say, if Hamilton had got past, he would have then started to build the gap up. Uh, and that would have won him time at the pit stop. But Raikkonen won that race partly down to keeping Lewis behind him. But he knew Lewis wasn't going to do something too risky because he knows he's going to get that place eventually. But it would have got him more time had he gotten past him. But he can't afford something too risky. Now we're left in a situation then where we were wondering... Is Lewis Hamilton going to try and eke these tyres out or is he going to two-stop? And there was a 17-point lead between the two of those guys, wasn't there? So we're thinking he's got a 17-point lead, uh, second lead. He is going to have to come out behind Kimi Raikkonen. So I don't think there was ever a point where he could have just got a pit stop. He was never a pit stop clear, was he, Matt? No, he wasn't. And I actually, I, I went back and looked because a lot of people were banging on Mercedes. Oh, they should have stopped Hamilton sooner. And that's always going to be down to the pit stop window. And it wasn't going to be the pit stop window to Raikkonen. It would have been the one to Verstappen, who was at that point running in third from 19th. So yeah, nice job, Max. And I think there was two laps that I saw where the gap was greater than 20 seconds. So there might have been two laps in there where if everything had gone correctly. Hamilton might have been able to get a stop and get out ahead of Verstappen. But that presupposes that Max wouldn't have upped his pace the moment that Hamilton came in. And of course, he would have done that. So I don't think he was ever really clear of the two drivers behind him in any way that would have made the team say, yes, we should do this now. And eventually, when his tires were really going, they were like, we have to, we, you know, they waited till they had good fresh tires to the end. He would have a chance to get by. And then they pulled the trigger. So I, I can't blame Mercedes for when they decided to pit him, although I know others have. So, Chris, the dilemma was, do you pit early and have a smaller gap, but have a, a, a small also uh, difference between your tire life? Therefore, Kimi Raikkonen is, is in front of you, but your tires aren't that much newer, but you're closer. Or do you leave it longer, put him further back, but with fresher tires to go and attack? And they chose the second one. Was there ever, was there any strategy once Kimi Raikkonen got ahead, that meant Mercedes could win. Because in my mind, once Kimi Raikkonen got ahead, every chess manoeuvre that they, they could have played put Kimi Raikkonen ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Uh, for my money, Mercedes lost that race as soon as they tried to do a two-stopper. Because as, as soon as they did that, they put themselves in a position where they had to overtake Raikkonen. 
And as we keep on saying with these new cars, that's that's tough. But if he if he had come in earlier than what he had done for the second stop, like you say, that delta would have been even smaller. Yeah. He struggled to get past Verstappen. Yeah. With the delta that he had, there's no way he would have been able to get by both of them with an even smaller delta. Okay, but if he had stayed behind Kimi Raikkonen instead of doing the opposite of what he did, and lap 11, he stays out behind him, Matt, he's now stuck behind Kimi Raikkonen. The Ferrari's got pace. Mercedes aren't amazing on their tyres. What's the strategy there that gets Lewis Hamilton past Kimi Raikkonen? I don't think there was one. No, there's not. In fact, you bring up a very good point. Uh, It would be instructive to note the following thing, that he had no fresh super sauce left in his allocation, as I recall. If I'm wrong, I will be wrong, but that's my recollection. And equally importantly, at this point, we should probably look at how Botas' race turned out because he was in the position, more or less, that Hamilton would have been in had he stayed out and just simply followed Kimmy through the pits. And what exactly happened to him around about four or five or six laps from the end? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. He got toasted by Vettel because his tires had melted. They had blistered. The same thing would have happened to Hamilton because those Mercedes were not treating their rear tires nearly as well as they were in the previous races, for whatever reason. Hmm. It's all been a bit civil so far. Let's see what we can do to change that. Whose fault is it? Oh, Vessel is the gift that keeps on giving at the moment as far as this segment, Whose Fault Is This, is concerned. He ended up back in fifth place, behind the Red Bulls, fighting with Daniel Ricciardo. And uh, we have to say hats off, first of all, don't we, Chris, that this was actually a great piece of racing leading up to the contact. Oh, it was awesome. Really, really cool. Good side-by-side down the straight. Vettel gets in too hot into the next corner, and Ricardo's going to take every opportunity he can to get back at him. And equally, Vettel took the chance he could to get back after that, much to his dismay. This is where Ricardo excels, though, isn't it? If it's not out-and-out lap time and out-and-out qualifying pace, when it's wheel-to-wheel, he really gets into that dogfight. He's a great little scrapper. And something he, he he's picked up in his uh, junior single-seaters. If you go and watch some of his old uh, Formula Renault uh, races and other of his junior single-seaters, that, that trick has always just been there. <laughs> okay, so we get into the incident itself. Uh, let's assign blame. For me, it is 100% Sebastian Vettel's fault. Is there, is there any disagreement on the panel? I, I don't think there can be, surely. I even said, as he was slipping back up the inside, oh, don't slide into him, Seb. <laughs> and, and what did he do? It's, he, he, you're, it's, you're right, he's the gift that keeps on giving for this segment. I cannot imagine what kind of drought he must be in at the moment with all of these really scrappy manoeuvres, and that whole lap was rough. Yeah. Let's hand this over to Matt, because... Obviously, Germany crashing on his own. Rick Paul Ricard into Bottas. Uh, Hamilton, he goes onto the inside of him in Monza. Verstappen, he hits diving down in Suzuka, into Spoon. Now, Ricardo in Austin. And just like a corner before that, he'd made a mistake outbreaking himself. It's, it's not amazing, is it? The corner before opened the door for Ricciardo. But <clears throat> I'm going to bring up something uh, that I find interesting. This is about the third time now he's had contact like that and the car has spun. What seems odd about it is that it's been commented on. It's unusual uh, for a car in his position making contact to spin. And so I'm beginning to wonder if there's not some fundamental balance issue that's a part of this. And it's not just him, you know, driving poorly, but it's also the car behaving in a way that 
really one wouldn't expect. So, so I, I, I might be on to blaming Ferrari a little bit for providing them with an inferior tool in this instance. Wait a minute. Are you saying that it's not his fault because his car should be better able to withstand it when he causes contact? And I would argue he was the reason yeah. for contact inside Verstappen. He was the reason for contact with Hamilton. He was the reason for contact at Paul Ricard with Bottas. And he is the reason for this contact with Daniel Ricciardo. And we'll go into why in a second. But you're saying it's not his fault because Ferrari should build a car for him that is better able to withstand him causing contact when he's to blame. That, that's correct. If we're arguing about who caused the contact, it's one thing. If we're talking about <laughs> the spin, then I'm saying maybe Ferrari comes in for some blame. Do you know what else he does as well? He immediately lights up the rear tires before he's even come to a stop yet and just burns through them so, so quickly. He doesn't even get out of the spin properly. Oh, Chris. Oh, young, fresh Chris, who's yet to waste his life. That and uh, Stephen Matt's eyes will light up when I say this. That is called going tilt. Okay, so when a poker player invests a lot into a hand and he pushes in a lot of his chips into that hand and he thinks he's going to win and then he loses very, very frequently on the next hand, he will go all in with the rest of his chips. That's what you saw with Roman Grosjean when he lit up his tyres and went all the way across the track. Where was that? That was in Barcelona, wasn't it? Where he just pointed into the track and went all the way across. You see it with racing drivers as well. One thing goes wrong and they just go on tilt. And, you know, no, it's just something that happens. And you see it time and time again with cards. He he made that contact. He knows he's blown it again. And you could tell in the post-race interviews when he turned around and, and he got complimented for having a good recovery drive. And he says, oh, I'm sick of having recovery drives. Yeah, well, quit hitting people, man. Believe it or not, I did pick up your poker analogy at uh, <laughs> the mention of the word tilt. Oh, did you? Well, well done. However, it's a good thing for a host of an audio broadcast to explain it to the listeners who may not know. Right, okay, well, Vettel causing that contact. When we get down to the contact being made, Steve, what are the chat room saying about whose fault it is? Um, Raul Waters says, and I agree with him totally, when I saw the incident, um, I, uh, I'm with him. He says, everybody is saying that Vettel understeered, but on the onboard in Vettel's car, um, it looks like he deliberately flicks left and goes and squeezes um, uh, Ricardo. Now, does it, anybody else agree with that? I'll let Chris take that, yeah. No, he definitely steered left, but he was correcting oversteer because he was too hot into the corner. Yeah, and I think too much can be made of that because it looks quite dramatic in the car, but actually it's perfectly normal. He may have done that on his own at some point with cold tyres, with heavy fuel and stuff. And by the way, I will just say a lot of new names in the chat room. Thank you for coming and finding us. Go to YouTube, search Missed Apex Podcast. If you do it on your mobile app, the live chat is just there in the app so you can watch the the programme in the top half and then talk to us in the bottom half. Loads of chat going in, uh, going on in there. Um, when it comes to the contact, though, what I think was happening, Chris, was I think that Vettel is doing the move that Hamilton has made his own uh, of, of recent years, that the move that Rosberg used to jump out of the way of. Now, if you've got Hamilton on your inside on the exit of a corner, you pretty much know that he is going to escort you all the way out onto the edge of the track. And I think that's what Sebastian Vettel was doing. He was going, right, I'm going to keep my speed because the only way to slow up and leave Ricardo room on the outside was to slow down. And that would have let Ricardo back up around the outside. So he's trying to show him the outside, take his normal line and hope that Ricardo is going to use the runoff and duck out of that move. 
Now, when it's Hamilton, people do seem to duck out of that move because they, they know he's going to continue it. But Ricardo's just stopped. He's just sat there and basically let Vettel hit him. So what we're talking when the actual contact happened, I mean, when, you know, trying to brave it out around the outside isn't the worst thing in the world, especially at that corner, because there's so many different lines you can take. We've seen it time and time again, that if you are able to kind of get a straighter exit, you can really uh, fight your opponent right through the next corner and then out of there as well. So it sounded suspiciously like you were defending Vettel there. Uh, <laughs> how dare you no how dare you i would never do such a thing um i actually i am accused obviously of hamilton bias a lot and some of that is fair but i always thought in the hamilton rosberg battles that hamilton was quite out of order on the exits but that has kind of become normal in formula one and i, spe- I specifically remember 2016 on the in between uh turn one and two of canada which is yeah the sh- left right chicane on the outside of turn one, Hamilton really just hung Rosberg out to dry. And the slightest contact, Rosberg just jumped out of the way. And I was like, ah, Rosberg, I don't even like you. But for goodness sake, just hold your ground and he'll stop doing that. Our, our logo's on the side of the Ferrari, though. So, you know, it, <laughs> evens, it evens out. But I th- um, just to kind of quickly go back to the Vettel thing, um, I, I think he, he wanted to make, you know, quick mincemeat of Ricardo. Because he's probably sat there thinking, oh, this guy's, this guy's going to be second and lap slower than, than me throughout the race. So I, if I can just get through him on that one, that'll be grand. Oh, darn it. I've gone too deep into the corner. and I've made this so much more difficult for myself. And uh, not the red mist as such, but he's probably already annoyed himself that he's made his job harder than it needed to be. Because that was going to be a simple move for him initially going into turn 12. So we haven't finished with whose fault is this, don't worry, but it does lead us neatly onto a subject. Because Matt, as soon as Kimi Raikkonen was leading the race with Sebastian Vettel fighting his way up the pack and eventually getting into the position behind Bottas, no one seemed to be calling for Kimi Raikkonen to back the pack up through the tight sections to put Sebastian Vettel back into the, into the race. I think if that was Bottas and Hamilton was the one fighting back, I think Bottas would have been slowing people down through that turn one, two, three, four, five. You are correct. But it was in Ferrari's and Vettel's own best interest that Raikkonen win the race at that point. But there are points in this track where it is very, very hard to overtake. So sector one, Kimi Raikkonen could have slowed Lewis Hamilton up. Uh, And even in that final section, there's a series of corners where there's only one line. Yeah, there are, but in the larger picture, it was better for Ferrari, uh, for Raikkonen to win, or Verstappen to win, or frankly, anybody but Hamilton to win in terms of the championship. And also consider there's a constructors' championship that we have not really talked much about, but is much, much closer than the drivers' championship. Can you imagine how much Raikkonen would have had to have dropped his pace to get Vettel to catch up? Not only has he, you know, lost 15, 20 seconds doing a, a spin. And then you lose even more time getting through all the slow traffic. He would have had to have halved his pace. And at that point, you are just going to be overtaken. Maybe. But isn't it interesting that no one was calling for it? No one in the commentary, nobody online. It's like people had just given up on Vettel at that point. It was like, it was your own fault. You're there. Go hang. This is Kimmy's race. 
Well, yeah, it was his fault, but also I just think it's a little unrealistic, um, to be honest, to expect that of them because it's not like Monaco where Mark Webber was able to drive around at silly speed so that Vettel could jump a load of guys in the stop that one year. If my memory serves me correct, it was about 25 seconds back to the Bottas-Vettel battle. So I could be completely wrong there. I think it was something like that. I'm pretty sure you could have done that in five, six laps. You could have held Hamilton up and then... No? Sorry, so in five or six laps, you reckon he's going to go four or five seconds? Yeah, yeah. Because through those through through that and first section, there's no way you can pass. So you just keep parking it on each apex, unless you're Lance Stroll and you're going to cut the corner and punt him. That's it. You, that, you're done. I think if you're going four or five seconds and laps, bear in mind that's the difference between pole position. That's not even the difference. Okay. Between would you say? Would you pole. say this track is harder or easier to pass on than Abu Dhabi? Easier. This is easier to pass on than Abu Dhabi with a billion straights. Abu Dhabi is the worst track for overtaking apart from Monaco, I think. In terms of the delta you need to overtake, Kota is way... All I'm saying is Abu Dhabi is a track where you can overtake. Okay. It'll only take 15 seconds for the chat room to correct you. Case in point, Bottas and Hamilton last year. Hamilton was quicker than Bottas. Couldn't get past him. Trumpets. Yes. Weigh it. Have an opinion. Tell me I'm wrong. Never stop being you. <laughs> I think it's absurd and ridiculous to expect Raikkonen to take 25 to 30 seconds off of his race time solely to help Vettel out in P5. Hamilton might, did it. Hamilton did it. Hamilton did it in 2016. Pass. He cut people's lap times down insanely. It could be. It could have been done. You're wrong to say it couldn't have been done. Okay, fine. I'm wrong. Uh, I disagree, and I think I am correct. Good. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay, whose fault is this one then? Alonso getting absolutely punted by Lance Stroll. Uh, there was some people who thought that Lance Stroll had two wheels on the track. In my mind, it was fairly clear that he was completely off the track, cut the corner, and then punted Alonso. I'm assuming we're all agreed on that. Well, he was four wheels off, but then Alonso came all the way over to make sure he didn't get back on it. He came over. I don't know. I don't know. I think Alonso just didn't want to finish the race. <laughs> I think he said, oh, here's a convenient way to get out of the next 55 laps. Uh, and then uh, and then his comments afterwards were just fantastic and bitter. And everything he talks about now refers to WEC or IndyCar or something like that. He's like, yeah, we get it. We get it. You're, you're leaving. <laughs> the thing is, like, he's completely wrong about WEC. I, I, and, and like, I remember, was it Daytona last year, the, the 24 hours? There were spectacular wrecks with the amateur or the gentleman racers doing incredibly stupid things. He just hasn't been there for those yet. Yeah, he said F1 was more amateur than the amateurs in the other series that he's he's raced in. Um, anyway, let's talk about, let's move on. Let's talk about Bottas, because you were talking about Bottas's position and, and where he was at. Now, did Bottas do enough? Did Bottas do his job this weekend? Because if we think about it, he started in third place and he got beaten by Max Verstappen, who started in 18th place. And we and he also finished behind Sebastian Vettel, who hit another car, spun, dropped all the way back down the grid and fought his way back. Surely, Chris, that isn't good enough for a top four driver. Oh, I have been uh, a big Bottas defender, especially in the early part of this season, because he had a great start to the season. But frankly, these last few races have been quite shocking. Frankly, there is no even I know the Mercedes was struggling with its rear tires compared to the Ferrari. But even so, to have been beaten by Vettel in that race after everything that happened is just a sign that he's just not delivering what he should be. So that comes down to, is Bottas really owed that win or not? If the title is sealed in Mexico, are they? Are you going to see a situation where Hamilton starts slowing down around Interlagos and Abu Dhabi? Of course, we now know it's impossible to pass around Abu Dhabi, so he won't be handing back the place there. But Interlagos or something like that, I, I don't think he's going to get that win back. No, Bottas isn't owed anything. If he wanted to be owed something, he could have been better at the beginning of the season and have been much closer to Lewis throughout this championship. He's not owed anything. I'm going to beg to differ. He is owed cash money for his contract to start with. And secondly, you can sit there all high and mighty and judgmental in your chair, but when your rear tires have melted entirely and they have no grip left relative to the Ferrari that is chasing you, there is really only so much you can do short of causing a collision. And whether or not he did everything possible, I don't know. I'll be honest, that's going to be down to his race engineers and the people who review the race for Mercedes. But what I will say is that Mercedes were in quite uh, a bad place with their tire usage in Austin. And we've not seen that out of them 
in the last couple of races. Uh, the chat room, um, I've got an opinion on all of this. Um, firstly, EMH2212 says, good on Chris for backing Bottas so much. Someone has to look after the disadvantaged and the number twos in F1, so well done. Uh, and Jerome Jordan says, Bottas, it's simple, Bottas has just been broken. We need a new Bottas. We need a Bottas 2.0 or, I don't know, dare we say it, an Ocon? Chris, would you <laughs> would you stick Ocon in? I'd be very happy to see Ocon in, in that car in the future. Very happy, more so than Bottas. But would Hamilton be happy to see? I think Hamilton's pretty happy with Bottas, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Everyone loves a teammate that's slower <laughs> than you. He loved Kovalainen too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, but overall, Matt, that was actually a genuinely thrilling race. It was almost a shame that it was in the context of the title battle. Because if that was just a straight fight between uh, between Kimi, Lewis, Danny and Max, and even Max, obviously Sebastian Vettel until he ended his own, his own, his own endeavours, that was a genuinely just thrilling race with three cars from three different teams all within, I don't know, about what, four seconds circulating around the last few laps. And it wasn't like Monaco where it was a traffic jam. This is a circuit where you can easily pass more than any other circuit in the world, according to Chris. Uh, yet we had that competitiveness. F1's not broken, is it? No, it's not. But it would also be, and I think someone else made this point, and I am stealing it, and I apologize because I cannot give proper credit, but I believe I saw it on Twitter. It's also, um, or maybe it was a private conversation on WhatsApp. Who knows these days? Information comes from everywhere, and it's mostly free. The fact of the matter is, yes, it was exciting. It was exceptionally exciting because the championship was on the line. It was exciting because we have Raikkonen winning for the first time in 100, what, 13 races? Longer than most people's F1 careers? fantastic all the way around and go old people may i say but really this is not something we can regulate into existence every race nor should we try to and this is where often i think the fii tend to get it very very wrong so two things uh gene z put in our whatsapp chat that there have been nine solar eclipses in the uk since kimi raikkonen last won a race which is just the ultimate stat i love that one um Second of all, on on this race, I would still put the race in Monza as the race of the year. Yeah, it was but a great little the, fight, wasn't it? Because mm. that was epic. But three different teams running three different engines on three different tyre strategies covered by two seconds scrapping for the lead of a race is just pure Formula One. And I think this weekend has been a good case for uh, restricting practice running and scrapping some tyre rules. Like you have to start on the tires, whatever you qualify on. Give them free choice. Okay, we'll get to Friday practice in just a bit. Let's let's have a slight disagreement because I don't want to ruin anybody's enjoyment of the race. And it's been what twenty four hours since the race finished. The boys are the boys are <laughs> getting ready for a scrap here. I know there's a lot of Kimi Raikkonen fans. I'm I'm not doing him down. Kinda look. He did really well. He did all the things he had to do with the ability that 39-year-old Kimi Raikkonen has. But I'm going to put it to you, Matt, that this was basically a race of attrition by any other name. This was like Baku without the crashes. He was the second fastest Ferrari. Oh, God, I'm going to get so many emails here. I'm going to push through it anyway. Reasonable people can disagree, can't we, internet? 
He was the second fastest Ferrari in qualifying. Vettel made a mistake that put him down the grid. He was probably the second fastest Ferrari on race pace, but Vettel hit another car. He was probably destined to finish behind a Red Bull because a Red Bull finished just behind him and the faster Red Bull stopped out on track. And he was probably destined to be beaten by a Mercedes, but they dropped the ball with the strategy and blinked too soon. I know people want to see this as the resurgence of Kimi Raikkonen. And I'm not taking away the fact that he pulled a blinder and he's good enough to win in these circumstances. But it, there was an awful lot of luck involved. I'm going to go hide now. You answer the question. Bye. I'm just going to be politely, in a most civil way, disagreeing entirely with you about that. If you want to attribute his win to luck, the only thing you said that bore a remote resemblance to reality was the fact that Ricciardo probably would have run had his car not stopped. Because I think that would have been the only real threat to him. And why do I say this? Well, how many times did Raikkonen pass Hamilton on track? How many times did Hamilton pass Raikkonen on track? That defense of his going into his pit stop sealed the deal for him. And then, to, to go one step further, uh, Hamilton couldn't even get past a Red Bull. So, um, yeah, there's that to consider as well. Now, Raikkonen did everything correct. Maybe his car wasn't the fastest. But it's not always the fastest car that wins. He had the best racecraft on the day, and he did not make mistakes when he could not afford to. And that is what makes you a winner. If I may, if it's okay, Spanners, to disagree with you on this one as well, if I may be so bold. Well, hang on a minute. Just just be aware that you'll be held to account, just like now, in all future conversations, Abu Dhabi is the Monaco of the Middle East, and uh, and uh, and Austin, the Austin Grand Prix is basically an oval where they can draft and pass at will. Yes, under those circumstances, feel free to carry on and disagree with me. Uh, Abu Dhabi is my least favourite track on this calendar. I like it's it, it's a good oval. track and I look forward to it every year. Great venue, terrible circuit, but we're getting, we're, we're getting off topic. Um, do I think that Raikkonen is suddenly going to be regularly fighting for race wins compared to Vettel? No, I don't. I think Vettel at heart is probably still the number one at Ferrari, especially seeing as Raikkonen is going to be pootling off to Sauber next year. I think there might just be two number twos at Ferrari at the moment, but anyway, carry on. <laughs> this is true, actually. But um, did he race fantastically, put in a hard-fought, amazing drive regardless of who was around i mean how many people hold off the likes of lewis hamilton or max verstappen for as long as he did he nailed the tire wear i mean starting on that ultra soft tire was already going to be a bit of a disadvantage for him especially towards the end of a stint he nailed it i do think that had he not got his penalty Bertel probably would have ended up winning this race he had the pace all right so that's one chris why why don't we keep going with that i mean let's no let's let's be honest vettel should have won this race yeah all yeah all things equal vettel should have won this race but 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 kimmy Raikkonen beat him by not getting a penalty and not hitting ricardo so you that is worth something and i'll tell you what you say he you know was slower in qualifying what was the gap (laughs) yeah like nothing like hundredth of a second it was it was a rizzler paper wasn't it it, yeah, less than the blink of an eye. Um, so, uh, yeah, Raikkonen has upped his game a little bit. It's probably the most 
vibrant I've seen him behind the wheel since since his last win. Oh, sorry, Matt. I thought you were going to jump in there and, and defend your incorrect viewpoint. Uh, what's to defend? I mean, he won the race positively. He didn't. It wasn't other people losing the race. It was him winning the race. And also, can we say that he displayed a little bit of leadership as well? Because he was on the radio saying, you know, let's not do anything daft. It was essentially a more grown up version of leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. It was leave me alone. I know how to defend and win a race. And let's be completely fair to Kimi Raikkonen, who might have lost some pace uh, in later years compared to Vettel. He might have been off the pace compared to Alonso. How often do you see him flying off and taking somebody out or making some stupid racing maneuver? He defended Hamilton professionally, smoothly, intelligently, perfectly. I agree 100%. Good. I think that this year as well, the car has suited Raikkonen so much better than the last few years. I mean, when he uh, went back to Ferrari in 2014, that car was a dog to begin with, and the balance of it was just terrible for his driving style. And since then, it's just been coming towards him ever so slightly. But this year, they've finally given him a car that he can work with really, really well. That's why at the beginning of the season, they were a little bit more closely matched. And that's why this is the season where we've finally seen him get a race win again. Okay, Matt, you're kind of boring. Kimi's kind of boring. Why do people love Kimi Raikkonen so much? I don't get it, personally. I look at him and on occasion I will think he's kind of offish. If other drivers behaved like that, they would be slammed down. He wears his sunglasses. I'm going to pay him a compliment in a minute. But just bear with me. He wears sunglasses and you go, oh, sunglasses, that's disrespectful. If Hamilton's wearing them, Kimi Raikkonen, somehow he gets away with it. He will scream on the radio, steering wheel, steering wheel. Tell him to, you know, he'll fly off into a rage. He'll do that kind of thing. He gets away with it. But what is it? What is it about his charisma that makes him so popular, that gives him a pass for all those situations? Well, I I think it's instructive to cast your mind back to when he first entered the sport. And at the time, there was a dearth of, shall we say, uh, drivers who weren't fairly well-versed in corporate speak and media appearances. And he showed up as what literally I've had people describe to me as a an utter breath of fresh air as a driver. And that won him a huge following that he's kept all these years. He does it because people see him being authentically himself. He's not going to do things he doesn't want to do. He's not going to say things. He's not going to do a shoey. He's not going to, he's going to be Kimmy. If I want an ice cream, I'm getting an ice cream and you're just going to have to wait till I'm done. Thank you very much. But also, and I think people get this too. And I got this from uh, reading uh, Mark, Mark Priestley's book. Um, he to his team and to the people that work with him is in, he's very loyal and he comes across as someone that, if he was a friend of yours would be the person to lend you money to pay your rent would look after you. And I I think people just have, um, I hate to use the word vibe, but it's the only one that's coming to mind at this point because I've already drunk my entire drink here. That's okay. Uh, He has a certain personality that people feel like they would be at home with were they actually to know him at that level. I think he's, uh, he's also had a slightly different upbringing to a lot of the uh, Northern and uh, mainland European drivers 
uh, as Will Buxton pointed out, his national service, as they all do in Finland and, and Denmark, gave away a few characteristics, which is that when he was being presented a trophy and he realised that it was a veteran that was present- presenting him the trophy, being an ex-military man, he paid some respect and he, he took his cap off. And you can t- you could tell that was unplanned because he took it off quite clumsily and he needed an extra hand to hold the the bottle and the trophy and his hat, but he still did it. And it's a quiet respect that he exudes. And I think perhaps that's what makes him genuine and why people love him. Steve, what's the chat saying? Crystal Racing says the reason that people like Kimmy is because he's a weirdo and he does whatever he wants and he smoked and he drank and he partied like an animal all his life. It's not the 70s, Steve. Stop living in the past and get a haircut. What would your parents have said? <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, I'm going to throw one more thing in there. I, and I may be misremembering this from the book, but I'm pretty sure like his parents were basically like his dad was like an auto mechanic. Yes. I mean, he, he doesn't come from the elite class that some of our current drivers come from. He's like an Ocon or a Hamilton. Yep. And that I think he came from a much more modest background, but just had stupid amounts of talent early on and so has has walked onto this path but i don't think that middle class working class background has ever really deserted him and i think a lot of people uh respond to that as well because he doesn't really do f1 in the same way other drivers do if if that makes sense he sort of shows up last possible minute doesn't he on the thursday evening or even a friday morning sometimes doesn't worry about the jet lag gets in the car and drives the wheels off it. It's fair. And I think as a Hamilton fan over the last 10 or so years, we end up getting a little bit defensive because when we see people lauded and praised for things that Lewis Hamilton gets shot down for, we kind of go, hey, hey, no fair. But I think we have to remember that Lewis Hamilton is a cultural phenomenon, almost sort of transcending F1 when it comes to media attention, especially British tabloid media attention. So it's not a direct comparison. Kimi Raikkonen is a normal bloke in a rich man's sport. He is a quiet bloke in a show of sport because a lot of the F1 drivers are like boxers. You know, it's not like footballers going, oh, you know, we're going to try our hardest at the end of the day, try and do the basics right. It's not F1's not like that. They're much more like boxers. I'm the greatest. I can take on my teammate. I'm the one who should get all the great parts. I really struggled. And Kimi Raikkonen doesn't do that. And he's a breath of fresh air. And we shouldn't compare him to, you know, Lewis Hamilton or whoever the next British phenomenon is who is going to get hounded and knocked down by the British press. Shall we move on, Chris? Shall we move on? I've got two observations about this weekend. Should we ban Friday practice and make it less predictable? I like the option of going to Friday practice at Silverstone because it is cheap and I get to see Formula One cars running and I don't get to do that during race day very often because the last time I did that, it cost me about 500 quid for one day's entertainment for one person. Indeed. No, okay, so here's the thing. People have been on, they've been banging on about Friday practice. We didn't have it and life was brilliant. But we also had a Saturday practice that was not representative of conditions on Sunday, worth remembering. And more to the point, I, I mean, like, yeah, we, we care. We love you, Spanners. There is no world or universe without Spanners. However, I'm wondering what exactly are the promoters going to be doing to make all that extra money from concessions with nothing doing on the Friday? 
So if we are going to take away Friday practice, and I've seen engineers saying that, yeah, it'll make the show better. And it's hard to argue. Less data clearly makes things more entertaining on the Sunday. The question really becomes, well, what are you going to do instead for the people who want who want the whole weekend? Right. So I think you don't just toss Friday practice in the bin. You restrict it. You run it down to maybe an hour, say, rather than three hours. So you get two hours in, in total. You fill the rest of that day with your support packages. Yeah, your, your F2s and your F3s. You, you maybe throw quali- yeah, you throw qualifying on a on a Friday rather than a, a Saturday. And that then, of course, you know, would need you to carry F2 and F3 to much more of the Grand Prix rather than just the European races. But I think they should be doing that anyway. But that's another conversation. But there are different support races at different events uh, as well. You know, in the, the US, we had the uh, F4 Americas. Okay, not bad. Here, here, here's my toss. Here, here's, here's my toss. <clears throat> much like golf has a senior tour, I think F1 should have a senior tour. And I think they should do a qualifying in a race on a Friday. And, oh, I don't know. Should we go back to the V10s? I don't know. Pick your favorite era. And and that would be a fun thing for everybody to see. And in between, you could sandwich, say, a test session for young drivers every so often on tires that are not homologated for the championship series. So there's a limited amount that the teams can learn on the Friday. That way, everybody would get to see the current cars. They would get to see a qualifying and a race in F1 cars on a Friday. And the senior tour could be a separate thing that also featured, of course, you know, senior drivers. I know there's already historic F1 series, but this could be more of a bespoke thing for the Grand Prix events themselves. Sparkles? So with so with the, the junior drivers idea, w- would you have them in the actual F1 drivers' cars? Because what if they smash them up in practice and then that limits the actual F1 drivers running? Uh, the, since, since the F1 drivers aren't in the cars until Saturday, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to imagine the kind of crash they'd have. Hang on a minute. They wouldn't let the car be rebuilt until Saturday. You're missing the obvious, Chris. They just get in the T-car. What's the, what's the drama here? Just get in the t- That's a reference for people who are old and remember when there used to be a spare car. And there isn't any more. Steve? Uh, Pete Jenkins says that he definitely, we, we definitely don't need Friday practice. We should save the money, give the staff an extra day off, and that spices things up without it being, without having to you know, become gimmicky, you know, because the real racing then happens. Oh, and Christopher Fonseca said, replace Friday practice with a sprint race using the F1 drivers in identical F2 cars, and then we could see who really was the best driver. Yes, but unfortunately, that then kind of makes a mockery of the the F1 package by making the same drivers compete in a spec series. And then you suddenly realize, oh, yeah, look, uh, Alonso is two seconds faster than Lance Stroll. The the thing about F1 is that it doesn't need to be a three day event. In all honesty, there's been a ton of drivers saying we can easily have this as a just a Saturday, Sunday event. All right. So when when I were a lad, Chris. Do you know what it was? We never watched Friday practice, right? It was not aired any of the testing that they used to bang on about. We never saw any of that. Qualifying was one hour, one session. It was one hour, and you could just set a lap time anytime in that session. And I'll do what Matt does. And do you know what used to happen in those 
sessions, Matt, and then I answer the question myself. Everyone just waited until like five minutes until the end and settle up. So that your pre-race running was five minutes of basically one shot qualifying. Uh, the problem for me is is one of a commercial aspect, which is if you get rid of Formula One cars running on Friday, what do you give the audience and the promoter in return? How are they going to make money on Friday when when it's F2? Or who's going to show up for that? How do you get them in the door? And I don't think we can just get rid of Friday practice unless you have a, a real solution to that problem. Uh, in the chat room, Bob Mallett says, why can't you run with Quali on Friday, the race on Saturday, and then use Sunday for the for testing? We get no testing now. Why don't we do some? I think people don't want testing within Formula One because of the expense of more running. But it's a good question posed. Before we go to the podium, I just want to make the point that we had some fantastic racing, particularly between Kimi Raikkonen with Hamilton going for it. Some great defending by Verstappen as well. Again, Hamilton absolutely going for it. If there had been gravel on the outside of those turns, I don't think Hamilton would have gone for it at all. And runoff areas, as much as we don't like them, do occasionally lend to good racing. Have a little look at where the best racing has happened this season, and it's been where drivers are able to take chances without going into gravel and ruining their races. However, come on, it cannot be that hard to have just a little strip with slightly lower grip. Well, you know what I saw, and I would agree with you, it's a variation on this, is you know how they'll sort of run wide and come back onto the track? Yeah. And there's like a definitive line that you can see that they like to do. Well, just about 10 or 15 meters before you would normally get all four wheels back on track, just edge it in with a little piece of grass right there so that they're forced to slow down to get back on before they hit the grass so they don't gain the advantage of carrying that extra speed. But they have to be able to do it without the risk of just ending their race. All right. Well, we are coming to the point where we have to end the podcast. So let's move on to the podium. A massively exciting race for the US Grand Prix, quickly becoming one of my favorite events on the F1 calendar. Congratulations to Kimi Raikkonen and... Congratulations to the Kimi Raikkonen fans. You had a great weekend. You've waited a long, long time to do it, uh, but you won't have to wait for a long, long time to find out exactly how the race happened from start to finish in only 60 seconds. And this is the moment I regret finishing my drink. Lights out. Good start. Hamilton better start. Raikkonen. Raikkonen gets him. Raikkonen leads. Stroll. Alonso. Contact. Rojan Leclerc. Contact. Alonso out. Vettel on Ricciardo. Vettel. Ricciardo. Contact. Vettel spins. Vettel P14. Verstappen past everyone. Verstappen P9. Ricciardo stops. Ricciardo out. Virtual safety car. Hamilton pits. Raikkonen stays out. Vettel P5, Verstappen P4, restart. Vettel gets Hulkenberg P4. Hamilton by Botas. No surprise. Hamilton catches Raikkonen. Hamilton can't pass. Raikkonen pits. Verstappen pits. Botas pits. Verstappen undercuts Botas. Raikkonen catches Hamilton. Hamilton pits again. Hamilton behind Verstappen. Hamilton catches Verstappen. Hamilton by Verstappen. Verstappen by Hamilton. Hamilton by Verstappen. Side by side. Hamilton goes wide. Verstappen P2 checkers. Raikkonen wins. Ocon Magnussen disqualified. Hartley P9. Well, I'll tell you what, we didn't get to the fact that Ocon and Magnussen got disqualified. They did, 
it was fuel-related. Magnussen wasn't happy. He called it Formula Fuel. But the fact of the matter is, throughout the whole of that live broadcast, they didn't show any of that battle going on behind, which makes it very hard to comment on from a shed in central Bedfordshire. But let's go to Chris Stevens, autosport journalist extraordinaire. You're going to give us your thing of the weekend after you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to in Valencia. Yes, Valencia. Oh, what a nice Spanish twist you put on that. I can also so- say paella correctly. But... <laughs> which, uh, which you Northern <laughs> Europeans can't. Oh, that was good. Um, yeah, so I've been in Valencia this week for Formula E preseason testing, uh, and I've currently worked myself up a nice fifteen thousand word document of audio quotes <laughs> from the uh, from the week that I'm going to be sifting through over the next couple of months. Um, but it was a very nice week. I chucked it down for the last couple of days. A nice bit of flooding going on down there at the moment. So uh, luckily, the 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 worst of it stayed away from from us. Um, but there was a bit of flooding at the second. But the new cars are awesome. Uh, I love the sound. Love the way they look. They're awesome on track. Uh, and we're going to have a lot of fun doing e radio show this season i think uh with our preseason testing review very uh, very soon absolutely go to mistapexpodcast.com and go to shows and you can choose between this the formula one show or the formula e show called e-radio show you can look for that on your podcatcher of choice uh also chris you told me two years ago that you were going to be an autosport journalist and frankly you are obviously you do still do some reporting for another site too but you are legitimately now writing mainstream fia style news for autosport so many many congratulations what was your thing of the weekend um oh that's really really tough because there are so many to choose from but i think it's got to be max verstappen not only coming from 18th on the grid to finish just a couple of seconds behind the race leader but he also managed to get those super soft tires to do what 32 laps astonishing matt trumpets what was your thing of the weekend Oh, you know me. I'm an old dude. It's going to have to be Raikkonen, but specifically, I think it's going to be Raikkonen drinking first and spraying second because, yes, these are my priorities. Steve, I'm going to find out what the chat room thinks is the thing of the weekend, but I think Jeansy over voice note is going to beat them to it, so I'm going to play that now. This is Alex Jeansy Van Jean from the panel. We can't play the FOM version, obviously. That last one was Stroll, going much slower than everybody else. (laughs) Thank you, Jeansy. Chris, you were trying to get in? Uh, No, that was just really funny. (laughs) Yes. Steve. Um, and, and, And he beat me. That was going to be my thing of the week, too. So I have to agree with him for that. And in the chat room, Showstopper says, the thing of the weekend was Kimmy asking Lewis if he won the title when they were in the cool-down room. That was a little bit cheeky, that, wasn't it? A little bit cheeky. Ooh, I, think it, I think people thought it was more malicious than it was because there was actually somebody else laughing in the background after Kimmy said it, but then Kimmy looked confused, so I'm torn as to whether Kimmy was actually sticking the knife in or not. What do you think, do, Chris? Do we really think Kimmy Räikkönen knows the championship permutations? <laughs> no, or cares rather than uh, you know does he know uh, i'm yeah. struggling for a thing of the weekend um how could you not go for verstappen versus hamilton at the end of the race i mean that was a thing and it was on the weekend it was how about f1 
for having a race where three teams were that close and all within a shot at winning at the end of the race. How's that for a thing of the weekend? So we've got to miss the apex. I've, I've got a bump for that, but because I've had to find uh, Jeansy's voice note, I've had to go back to my soundboard, but here it is. Oh no, you missed the apex. Who missed the apex for you, Chris Stevens? Whoever's in charge of track limits. Honestly, I'm so fed up with this circuit that they decide at one corner you gain an advantage by going wide, but not at all the others where they are constantly not 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 just ignoring the track, but going way, way off like they used to in Austria, the first corner a few years ago, just taking so many liberties. And yeah. like, oh, that's fine, but you do it at turn 19 and you get time deleted. But I've had this argument with Bradley Philpott and I've been on the same side as the officials because they've allowed this situation year after year after year there are certain situations and certain corners around Kota where the track limit kind of sorts itself out because if you went any wider you'd be having to cover too much track so it kind of you know well there you go just go out as far as you can without it costing you more time what's the what is the drama if you just go out wide and everyone's doing the same thing if everyone naturally finds a line then you could kind of just just draw a line around where they are and it wouldn't make any difference. I mean, they wouldn't be out there if it wasn't quicker, but I just don't get why they don't do anything about <laughs> it. Year on year, it's ridiculous. Matt Trumpets, who missed the apex for you? Ooh, um, very clearly, Lance Stroll missed the apex. Well, he hit all of the apex, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, he, he was the wrong side of the apex, so technically he did miss it. But... Think- uh, I was going to say, I'll leave it there. Yeah. If you're going to hit the same driver two race weekends in a row, why not make it Alonso? Just go all in, completely all in. Uh, for me, the missed apex award go is split. It's split between Christian Horner telling everybody completely unnecessarily that Daniel Ricciardo had put a hole in his locker room wall. And also Daniel Ricciardo, I guess, for putting a hole in his locker, uh, locker wall. But, you know, that is the latest in the series of Imagine If Lewis Hamilton Did It. Do you remember the kerfuffle after Baku in 2015 or 2016 when Lauda had said he'd trashed his hotel room? And then later on, the story came out that actually just kicked over a a paper basket or something or a waste paper basket and, and how much that got blown up and everything. And yet somehow WTF1 does an article about Daniel Ricciardo punching a hole in his locker and the, the caption that goes with it is, oh, poor Ricciardo, the frustration. And all the comments, oh, this just shows they need to put him in a good car. Poor lad. Not one single comment was, idiot, chill out. So for me, I'm just going to give him half the Missed Apex Award for that. Steve, anyone in the chat room nominating a Missed Apex Award? Uh, yes, there's a couple. New European says the, um, the Missed Apex Award should go to the Red Bull drivers suits you know the faux cowboy things they had on which look kind of okay i guess you know for a one-off race uh, and ray Tom- and ray thompson says that uh really it should go to every ferrari mechanic um because they all ran out into the pit lane to ogle the dallas cowboy cheerleaders <laughs> when they came by that's the missed apex right <laughs> okay chris <laughs> uh, i have a second one actually and it pains me to say but it's charlotte claire for his uh, frankly shambolic move on Esteban Ocon at the start of the first lap, right before the Grosjean incident, he just sort of slammed up the inside of uh, Ocon in the middle of the S's session uh, section and just clattered into the side of him. Which, um, 
never never got a replay of never got looked at by the stewards but it looked like very clumsy driving to me understood does anyone have a pony award hands up in the panel Chris Stevens. I mean, there's a couple, isn't there? <laughs> you could say Kevin Magnuson flying off the radar. I mean, like, oh, it's formula fuel saving. When has it never been about fuel saving, Kevin? That's been half the job for years and years and years. Do you know how much he missed by? It doesn't matter what he missed by. And also, he's the only one who says that. There's no actual like thing that says that's true. 100 grams. Yeah, but so what is still too much? I mean, even the idea that they've used 105 kilograms of the race is already like a lot because they it's so many races. They only use like 80 to 90. So you you you're picking him, but I I would actually go with Otto saying, "Oh no, we gained no advantage at all by letting Sebastian uh uh by by letting I call him Sebastian Buemi, but no, Esteban Ocon have extra fuel during during the start of the race. That couldn't possibly have given him any advantage whatsoever because by the time he got to the end of the lap, it was normal. But he does get <laughs> some credit because he was wearing uh some Mexican gear to announce Sergio Perez having his contract renewed at Force India and when asked what will you be wearing to announce your next driver? He did go, well, you know, probably Mountie gear, I guess. <laughs> we'll be uh, having some maple syrup with whatever he's eating. Um, th- there were quite a few teams that were really unhappy with uh, Carlos Sainz's penalty as well. Not that he got one, it was too lenient. That five seconds for overtaking a bunch of cars off the track at, uh, at turn one, which is... Fair enough, I think, because how much time did he gain by doing that and then only takes five seconds, which didn't cost him a place anyway? You'd do that every single race if you if you could. And also, we can't have this Pony Award without mentioning Fernando Alonso. Yes, that was mine. Curses. Go on, you go on. Well, I did the whole the more amateurs in F1 than WEC and the fact he's sitting there going, I come to Austin and uh, for a week and I do 600 meters and I get crashed out. Yeah. On on the back of his ludicrous claim that the Toyotas in WEC don't have an advantage over the privateers. Absolutely insane comment, Chris. That was ridiculous. And I loved it. Andre Lotterer shared it saying this was the joke of the year. I think if, uh, if I remember the driver correctly, that's bizarre. They uh, We just execute a race better than them. Go get in the bin. Why don't they just try harder, Chris? I know, right? God. <laughs> Thank you very much for the chat room for keeping us company. Thank you very much to Autosports, Chris Stevens. Thank you very much for sometimes FIA accredited uh, journalist Matthew Trumpets. Yes, Chris, I know that's not a term, but it sounds cool. Thank you very much to Uncle Steve for looking after the chat room. And I'm going to make an announcement now that makes me very, very happy because as a podcast fan since, I don't know, 2008, 2009, and having listened to podcasts I love, say this. It is fantastic to be able to say that Mr. Apex Podcast has received a million audio downloads. A million times what we've done out of this shed over our little video call has been downloaded. One million downloads. Thank you ever so much to people who have taken the time just to share it. And it's not just the content. It's the fact that people have put it in Facebook groups. The fact that people have put it on Reddit. The fact that people have shared it and retweeted it and people say, what's the point in me retweeting it when I've only got 53 followers? The fact is we put a hashtag in it and when you retweet it, it pushes it up that hashtag. When you tell your friends at the water cooler, yes, um, I was listening to Mr. Apex podcast and they said 
that this thing happened or you should see the debate th- these guys had whenever you do that all of that has contributed to the 1 million downloads and i am absolutely ecstatic a little bit of a stat attack for you for how well we're doing each race review at the moment is getting 11,000 downloads what's the video views up to on average steve uh these days about 5,000 uh, videos and that's come up a lot in a year we've gone up about 4,000 you know in a year so we've done about you know a, a lot a big increase and next year it'll be even better and that's all down to the fact that Steve Amy is a professional video editor and him and Felix Bowen uh, who is from Holland or Dutch or Sweden or something I think he might live in Ikea does all the the graphics the background graphics the social media the website a huge team effort thank you so much to the panel a million downloads is kicking and I love it let's find out though tell you what here we go to celebrate a million downloads I'm going to remember comment of the week and do it before the end of the show Steve give us some nominations and a winner for comment of the week. Okay. Uh, Evangelos, um, uh, he's up for it uh, with his comment for, due to him being quantumly quantumly entangled to all colliding particles in the universe, whenever there's a collision anywhere, Vettel spins, which is a bit convoluted, but it's a wonderful comment. Um, Christopher Von Secker uh, is up for it too, saying uh, Vettel was probably destined to be eight-time world champion, but Hamilton's parents had s- on that one occasion. And EMH2212 said if this was a court of law, everyone would go down for contempt and they'd still be arguing in the van on the way to prison. <laughs> but I think, I'd, I think I'd have to give it to uh, Evangelos today for his particularly convoluted um, allusion to quantum mechanics and due to him being a quantumly entangled to all colliding particles in the universe whenever there's a collision anywhere Vettel spins well done you win comment of the week thanks for joining us on Missed Apex podcast the podcast that attracts a million downloads you can follow Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter that's where he is all the time you can follow Chris Stevens on Twitter as well by searching C. Ah. You can follow Chris on Twitter with this following ridiculous tag. At C. Stevens underscore journo. And you can follow Steve by being right here on Mr. Apex podcast because he doesn't like social media, although we are going to try and bully him to go on to Twitter. You can follow me at Spanners Ready and the show at Mist Apex F1. The title could be decided next week in Mexico. So join us. Remember that wounds heal, chick stick scars, and glory lasts forever. Hey guys, you made it to the end of the podcast. Can I assume then, without too much arrogance, that you're a fan of what we do here? It takes quite a long time to put together an episode of Missed Apex Podcast. Just removing Jeansy's headbutting the mic noises and then taking away all the silences and pauses from Matt Trumpets takes five hours alone. But uh, you may have noticed, if you keep up with me on social media, that I am doing a lot more media work. So combined with some radio and some podcast stuff, I've decided to drop some of my engineering hours. So nearly half of my time now is dependent on being a content creator. 
a very scary and exciting time, as I'm sure you'll appreciate. So I'm just going to out and out ask you guys who are listening and who have enjoyed my content, will you support me as a content creator on Patreon? If you do, you may stave off the fear, which is that it's just not going to work out and I'll have to go back to full-time office employment. However, right now, I'm pushing very hard, not only with the radio stuff, but also some freelance audio work and podcast stuff. But I want to grow that. I want to expand. I want to do more podcasts. And I also want to do all the features that you guys are asking for so often over email, spannersready at gmail.com. You guys come up with some fantastic ideas, but it does take time. And now the time I spend on Miss Apex podcast or on any project in media now does depend on me being able to support myself as a content creator. So that's why I'm just out and out asking. Support me by going to patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. So it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash Mist Apex podcast. There's 16,000 sets of ears that this podcast falls on. If 1% of you was to sign up to Patreon and say, do you know what? You chuck out six or seven shows a month. We love it, Spanners. We're going to support you. Here's $5 worth of support per month on Patreon. If if 1% of you did that, it would give me a lot of freedom and uh, and yeah and and prove to that horrible witch indoors. No, I'm kidding. She's been really supportive. But that figure that we mentioned, for example, would actually give me almost complete freedom to use the the days that I'm away from engineering to push forward with new content. But this is pretty much it for me. There is no spanners ready family fortune to fall back on. I either make it now or I don't make it. So if you want to encourage this sort of thing and support me as a content creator and keep me out of the office, now is the time. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. There are some fringe benefits to being a patron. I'll let you discover them on the website. And of course, now that I have a little bit more time away from engineering, I'm going to be doing a lot more patron-only content because, frankly, the patrons are what have got us as far as we've come so far. Imagine how far we can go. Thanks. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.